0: Hey, so I wanna publicly thank Junior Saint Val for preaching last Sunday. Uh he and his wife traveled up and spent a week. They they spent Friday night at our recovery church and they celebrated the third anniversary of Recovery Church North Forty, which yeah, what an awesome thing that is. And uh just I I absolutely love him. We, we talk on the phone and we get talking about messages or whatever it is. And he is just, he is such an encouragement to me, but I know that he is. I've heard so many good comments about his time here. And so thank you for welcoming him so much. He shared some of his story. He talked to us about it a while ago and then he shared it with you on Sunday about how he's kind of coming under attack and it's suddenly the, the place that he's had in America is suddenly in question. And it's just, it's ridiculous and it's unnecessary. But he asked us to do something. He just kind of said it and then kept right on going. But he said, "Please pray for me." And so I would like us to do that right now. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, thank you for Junior. <clears throat> thank you for the way that <clears throat> you have called him to ministry in such a powerful and a unique way. Uh, he he can preach to a, a Sunday morning congregation. He can preach to uh, a recovery church on a Friday or a Tuesday and God he has just given an ability by you to connect with people right where they are just how they're living with what they're going through and it's just it's so much fun it's such a privilege to be able to hear his teaching and right now our government is just kind of being ridiculous they're being they're being uh, just it seems unnecessarily out of control with this whole immigration thing and you know what's going on with him God and so we just pray that that your your power would be out in front of all of this. We know that this is just an attack from the enemy uh, trying to knock out a mighty warrior in your army. And we know that as we're studying the armor of God, and he's talking about it uh, on Sunday, it's the spiritual forces of evil that are at work. And so, God, we just ask in the name of Jesus, through your Holy Spirit, Uh, God, we just ask that you would intercede and we thank you for interceding on his behalf and his family and his mom. We would love to be able to just pray him over to France to be able to celebrate the 70th birthday with his mom and then just pray him right back home so he can continue the call that you've put on his life. And so thank you for him. Thank you for his wife, Mandy, for his kids. Uh, Thank you for his ministry and for who he is. And, God, we just look forward to being able to celebrate uh, whatever the good news, because he's ready for whatever it is, God. We're ready for whatever it is that you have for him next. In Jesus' name, amen. Continue lifting him up, if you would, please. So we're going to get back to my man, Quinn. Yeah, I realized last hour I said it too fast. My mannequin. My mannequin. It's not a good joke, so I'm going to skip it. Uh, Dad, I hold you responsible for my sense of humor. Yeah, he holds that one. No problem. We're going to get back to him in a moment, but I'm going to invite you. and I do this at, at great personal risk, given what happened at the end of last service. I'm going to invite you back in time a little bit. Uh, I was thinking about it last week, and I thought like two decades back in time to when I was in high school. And I realized it's more like four decades back to when I was in high school. I had hair then. I really did. I was about 40 pounds thinner. I was in pretty good shape. And I had a friend who was in Walmart And he was a part, I don't remember what the cause was, but he was a part of some good cause. And he said, how would you like to run a 10K with me? And I said, I'm not really much of a runner, but it's for a good cause. Cost you 20 bucks. We'll just go out. We'll run this race and we'll help raise some money. Fine, let's do it. So I, I agree. I'm not a great runner. I knew it back then. I'm still not today, but I agreed. So I showed up race day and had my running shoes on. And I kind of did a little bit of this and thought, I'm ready. I can kind of land myself in the middle of the pack and finish respectfully uh, after an early morning jog, even though I hadn't trained. Well, it turns out without any training, I'm not a better runner than I am a singer. I've tried training and singing. It didn't work. I've not even wasted my time trying to train with running. I took off that day and I never made it to the finish line. Like, literally, I never made it to the finish line. I didn't have a chance. It wasn't that I wasn't willing to try it was that my my race got interrupted by an old guy in a golf cart who came by and he said, oh, good, you're still on your feet. I'm supposed to pick you up and take you in. What do you mean you're supposed to pick me up? And I knew I wasn't in the, like, the front of the pack. I knew I wasn't in the middle of the pack. I didn't realize I was 30 minutes behind the last runner at the end of the pack. And he said they sent me out to find out where it was you got hurt and to pick you up and bring you back. Thirty minutes ago, they closed the, the end of the race station, and everybody's gone home for breakfast. You're kidding me. No, it's a true story. We got back, and there was a handful of people that mockingly clapped at my return in the golf cart. That guy knew well enough not to embarrass himself by trying to run more than me. I don't do running stuff anymore, and, and lesson learned. Planning and having a realistic assessment of where you are is a pretty important thing. Failing to prepare for that race cost me not just the chance to reach the finish line, but I actually fooled myself into thinking I could do something that I couldn't. And it was terribly humiliating. It was embarrassing. I mean, I'm thinking at the very least I can hold my own with a bunch of, you know, older than me, non-athletes. And that arrogance ended up costing me an incredible amount of embarrassment. But a very, very good lesson was learned. If we fail to prepare for the things that are ahead of us, we're going to fail at them. And if we fail to prepare for the battle that we're involved in, if we don't take this spiritual battle seriously, Paul talks about our life being a race. If we don't prepare for that race, we're not going to finish well. Or in my case, not at all. I arrogantly thought I could cruise through 6.2 miles while at least maintaining a jog. It turns out I couldn't do it. Any more than we can make it through life without God's help. On our own, it just isn't going to happen. We're not going to finish well. And and I promise you, the stakes for the spiritual battle that we're in in this life are far greater than they were for that 10K. Paul uses the language a lot in Hebrews 12.1. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. I'm going to come back to that word endurance later on. But if life is a race, it isn't so much about winning. It's about finishing and finishing well, something I failed to do because I was greatly overconfident in my ability. Now, I don't mind losing a fun run. But I don't want any one of us to lose the spiritual race that is this life that we're in. And it's easy to think about in all kinds of other ways that take away the seriousness of it. But when we're dressed in the full armor of God, when we're dressed for battle, we can run into the battle at the same time that we flee from evil. But if we refuse to acknowledge our need for the armor of God, We walk into the day fully exposed to whatever it is that the enemy of God might want to do to us. So the armor of God is a biblical reminder that as Christians, we are soldiers who are a part of a war that the enemy of God is fighting against him. And what's at stake is your soul. What is at stake is your eternity. And it isn't other people that we're fighting against. Paul makes that clear. It's the spiritual forces of this dark world. When we face challenges, when we face difficulties, when we face people who give us a hard time, it's really easy to think that they're the problem. But in reality, Paul makes it clear that it isn't the people at all. The people are just weapons that the enemy of God uses in this spiritual war against us. And so we can get mad at people and by ignoring them or, or getting even or whatever we think we do, we, we figure, well, we won that round no we didn 't we didn 't even begin to engage the battle. See it feels personal it feels personal between us and whoever 's coming against us. Well, it is personal, but it 's not against them it 's personal between you and the devil, because the devil is fighting a battle he 's lost the war, he knows that the war is over, God has won. God won the battle and put an exclamation point on it when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. The war is over. Satan thought he had won, but he would lost. And so the battle that he fights is for your heart, it's for your mind, it's for your attention, it's for your affection, it's all of those things that the enemy of God uses to separate you from your Heavenly Father. And that's what the armor of God is given to us to help confront. So as we worked our way through chapter 6 of Ephesians, and we got out of order, and that's my fault. If you're following along in chapter 6, Junior talked about the next section. We're actually going back a week because I gave him a schedule, then we adjusted the schedule, and I didn't tell him the new one, so he did the right thing, and I goofed up. So I realize we're in the wrong order, but we're going to get it all covered. So Ephesians 6, where we are today, is this. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness. It's assumed. It's not a question, it's, it's not maybe you will, it's assumed. Having put on, it is assumed that we are going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. The Roman breastplate, and so here's our example of it on Quinn right here. It was made out of either metal or of hardened and shaped leather. And it was very definitely meant to stop things From getting through it functioned as a two piece full coverage part of armor along with the belt that we call the belt of truth between the two of them they completely covered from the neck below the midsection it covers and protects the vital internal organs especially the heart the liver the lungs the kidneys the stomach the intestines all of those things the breastplate for a Roman soldier functions as a body shield in addition to the shield that junior talked about last week. And so when you think about them, what do they do? What's the purpose? He talked about the shield and hold it up, right? Get ready. Get ready to march forward with your shoes of the gospel of peace. The shield is what we use to stop an attack that we see coming. The Bible talks of flaming darts and arrows of the enemy. Why flaming? Because a lot of the shields that the Romans would use would be a wood frame shield with a leather cover that they soaked in water. Because firing flaming arrows was both terrifying and dangerous. And if your shield caught them, the wet leather would put the flame out. So the idea of putting up the shield is what we use to prevent attack from the things that we see coming. And there's a lot of things that the enemy throws at us that we can see coming and we know to avoid. But what the breastplate does is it's the last line of defense against our vital internal organs, especially our heart, for the attacks that we don't see coming. To go out with a shield and a sword and say, I've got everything I need, leaves us largely exposed to the schemes and the attacks of the enemy. But the breastplate covers all of the areas that an attack might be launched at that we don't see coming. And you don't have to live your life very long to realize that you say to yourself every once in a while, wow, I didn't see that one coming. That's what the breastplate is for. And so we need multiple pieces of armor, not just one thing, but multiple pieces of armor to help protect ourselves, as well as the company of other soldiers. Romans never fought alone. They never went into battle alone. They never went into a single skirmish alone because they knew that there was strength in numbers. They were stronger together than they were alone. And this idea of the armor of God, if we really understand it the way Paul is laying it out there, we're also to understand how the Roman army functioned, not just what they wore. So when you think about a Roman soldier doesn't go into battle alone, what does that mean for us in our world? Well, one of them is this. It's why church is so important. It's why having a church family and being a part of a community is so important. It's why we encourage everyone to be involved in a life group. Why? Why would you want to give up time twice a month to meet with people that you don't even know right now? I'll tell you why. Because it puts you in the company and the care of other believers to walk through life with you so that you're not alone being exposed to the attacks of the enemy. We're stronger when we fight together. It's not just effectiveness, but it's safety. And we need to make sure that as believers, we don't fight alone. Being an active part of a church community is so vital to your spiritual health. It's so easy to think that you can do it on your own. I don't have to go to church. I'd rather talk to God in the fishing boat or the hunting stand or here, there, wherever. Yes, you can do that. But you're all alone. And a Roman soldier knew better than to go to battle alone. So in Hebrews 10.25, Paul says this, do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. He's encouraging them to make sure they continue to meet as a group to encourage each other forward. One of the things that was so brutal about the pandemic is we couldn't meet. We did our very best to bring church to you online and a lot of people just found that really works well and they've continued to do it. But you know, you also separate yourself out from the life of, of community from going through life with other believers and there is a strength in the encouragement and protection of others in our church family so in addition to having that church family we know when we submit our lives to Jesus and when we commit ourselves to follow him God does something that's really incredible the Bible says he grants us the righteousness of Jesus And the righteousness of Jesus is the righteousness that God gives us in the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is not your best effort. The breastplate of righteousness is not how hard you try. It's not how much faith you think you have or how many Bible verses you have memorized. All of those things left on their own are good, but they leave you vulnerable to attack. It's the righteousness of Jesus. It is Jesus who makes us righteous before God because of what it is that he did for us on the cross. Our righteousness, and certainly the breastplate of righteousness, isn't about us. It isn't about how strongly you believe or what you do or all the good things or how much faith you have or how many Bible verses you've memorized or how faithful you want to believe that you are. The breastplate of righteousness is not about any of that stuff. It's all about what God does for us and his righteousness that we're given by him through Jesus. It's important that we realize there's a difference. We think, well, I know enough, I'm ready, I can handle it, I can jump out there and wage war. If you're doing it on your best effort, you're in trouble. We just shared the Lord's Supper together as a church family in 2 Corinthians. Paul again says this, he says, For our sake he, that's God, made him, this is Jesus, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That is the breastplate of righteousness for a Christian right there. We become the righteousness of God because of Jesus. So if this was last week and Junior had done it, having watched the video, I'm pretty sure that he would go a little interactive at this point. So you're ready for that, right? Here we go. You ready? Here's what I'm going to have you do. Take that verse and say, I am the righteousness of God. Okay, now say it like you mean it, like you believe it. I am the righteousness of God. Think about that. You can go ahead and think about all the things you've done wrong your whole life because that's what Satan wants you to focus on. He wants you to focus on every time you goofed up, everything you did wrong, everything you shouldn't have done and didn't do. And when your breastplate of righteousness is all about you, he's right. But because of Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. And that's a game changer, folks. That will actually protect us. One more time, I am the righteousness of God. That's a game changer. It's almost as though God says, you know what, your righteousness, that's never going to be enough to protect you here. Wear mine. I I gave you Jesus to be your righteousness. Put that on. Put on Jesus when you go out into the world. On our own, our good enough will never be good enough. But because of Jesus, we become the righteousness of God. Too often we focus on our own righteousness when it comes to interacting with the world. We believe because the Bible has a verse or two that says so, that we get to go out and judge the sins of everybody else around us. But you know what? That's not quite what it says. We put ourselves in a superior feeling spot because we believe that we're better. We're more spiritual. We're more disciplined. We're more faithful than they are. We don't have the sins that those other people do. That's self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is nothing but arrogance and pride and hubris in the heart and the mind of a a childish and spiritually immature believer. Self-righteousness is what the enemy of God wants to believe that you have. The enemy of God wants you to rely on your self-righteousness, not on the righteousness that you have in Jesus. Because if he can get you to rely on who you are and what you're trying to do, you are completely open to his attacks. So if the breastplate of righteousness that you're happy to wear into battle is one of your own belief in yourself and your own goodness and and your good deeds, then you need to be aware that, that your protection is paper thin and it doesn't come from God no matter how many Bible verses you might quote. You do not want to be like Quinn and run around in a fake suit of armor. You can learn the words. You can know what to say. You can make it sound good. But if it's really a fake suit of armor, then the enemy can break through at every point into your heart, into your mind, into your soul with almost no effort, leaving you vulnerable to every single attack he might launch. Paul actually talked about this because the Jewish people thought they were special. The Jewish people thought they had a a special place in, in the world and with God because of their birth. And some of the early Christians who were Jewish as they were born Jewish and became Christians, thought they were extra special. And so I'm reading out of the message. This is Galatians 2, 15 and 16. This is about their spiritual specialness. He said, we Jews, because Paul was a Jew, we Jews know that we have no advantage of birth over non-Jewish sinners. If you think that Well, you're a better Christian because you've been a Christian longer than someone else. If you think that you're a better Christian because you haven't fallen to the struggles they've fallen to, Paul is saying, don't fool yourself. It isn't true. We know very well that we are not set right with God by rule-keeping, but only through personal faith in Jesus Christ. How do we know? He says we tried it. We had the best system of rules the world has ever seen. Convinced that no human being can please God by self-improvement, We now believe in Jesus as the Messiah so that we might be set right before God by trusting in the Messiah, not trying to be good. We put on the breastplate of righteousness by seeking God and His righteousness, His ways, His truth, more than anything else in our lives. We can decide what we're willing to do for Him and that becomes self-righteousness. When we look to what He asks from us, His ways, His truth, we take on the breastplate of righteousness, the one that God gives us. We make God in His ways our ways. We make His commands our actions. We take His will for our lives and we make it our delight. We say, God, I want to serve you. I want to do those difficult things that I can't imagine doing. I want to do that, God. That becomes our delight. That becomes the breastplate of righteousness in our life. When the Holy Spirit shows us our sin, we don't justify it or deny it. We acknowledge it before God, we confess it, and we turn from it. That's what repentance is. We realize and we acknowledge that God's righteousness is perfect. And our self-righteousness is only going to get us further into trouble. And what happens is when we begin to focus on God's truth, When we begin to trust in God's righteousness, our minds begin to change. The way that we think and see the world, the way that we interact begins to change. Our hearts begin to soften, even towards people that we decided a long time ago we don't like. Our language and our desires begin to change. And we begin to look and sound more and more like a follower of Jesus that's living in the image of our Savior. However, if you're counting on your own goodness... Are you doing your best at keeping God's law and you've decided you're doing a great job. Maybe you've decided that you're not as much of a sinner as the other people around you. You are wearing into battle every day a breastplate of righteousness that's fooling you because it's made of nothing more than rice paper. The enemy isn't going to be afraid of you any more than God's going to be impressed by you. Without Jesus and God's armor, we walk into battle with nothing but our own best intentions. And you know as well as I do what those are worth. If you want a reminder, it is now the the first part of October. How are you doing on your 2022 New Year's resolutions? Those are your best intentions. I said three this year. I wrote them down. I lost them. I'd love to say I'm doing great, but you know what? I don't even remember what they were, and I bet you're the same. Those are our best intentions. Going into battle without the armor of God... It's like setting New Year's resolutions, thinking we're really going to change our lives. And you end up finishing that race about as strongly as I finished that 10K in high school. We may not even see the finish line. I was reading a great piece about this as I was getting ready for this message. I told you we were going to come back to the word endurance. Here's how my mind works. There was an explorer in the first part of the 1900s named Ernest Shackleton. I've read everything I can about Ernest Shackleton. We've read books to our girls about Ernest Shackleton. He's fascinating man, great leader, and, and way, 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 a blinded leader at times. He wanted to be the first man to reach the South Pole, but Raoul Amundsen, a Norwegian guy, actually beat him to it. But Ernest Shackleton was an explorer. He was in that that great age of exploration. And so the Antarctic was that great frontier that nobody really understood or knew. And so he decided then he would be the first man to cross the South Pole and go from sea to sea over the polar ice cap. So he started raising money, and one of the very first things he did when he got the money was he had a custom-built ship for this expedition into the polar ice. He named it Endurance. What a great name. It was like the Titanic of its day. It it was made with special lumber, and it was made in a a way that would allow it to tackle that polar ice head-on and to not fall apart in pieces. It was, for its day and time, an unsinkable ship. However, as with most unsinkable human constructions, the promise is almost always greater than the final product. Endurance left England for Antarctica in uh, 1914. Ernest Shackleton and 27 men, 28 souls on board, heading into the last frontier. Long before they reached their goal, they got trapped in summer polar ice in the Weddell Sea. Boat wasn't going anywhere, so they waited it out. The ice didn't loosen and the ice didn't shift. They waited it out some more. They only had so much food and so many supplies, but they weren't going anywhere. Before long, they began to hear their ship creaking and cracking, and they realized what they heard was their unsinkable ship beginning to be crushed and broken. So they made the very difficult decision to leave the ship and get onto the polar ice. They took their dogs with them, their ponies with them. They they took all the things that they thought that they needed onto the polar ice and very quickly they realized rather than looking at their beloved animals, they were looking at the only way they were going to have to survive because the days kept moving forward until one day they heard a horrible crunch and the boat tipped over and began to sink. And they were on literally the opposite end of the world with no way home. They began to move their way through these 28 men and it was decided that, it was decided that 16 of them were going to board one of their 22-foot life rafts and sail to an island 800 miles away if they could find it in order to get help for the other 12. 16 hit the water, terrible seas along the southern uh, tip of South America and 12 of them stayed on shore. They had very, very little food Quite frankly, not enough to even survive, and it ended up taking a lot longer than anyone would have hoped for. Now, the good news is that Ernest Shackleton and his 16 guys did find land, and they did return to the other men. The end of the story, to fast forward, is all 28 of them made it home again. That's an important detail. One of the things that the guys that were stuck in that camp did day after day after day, they were starving without water, they were cold, they were wet. Literally in freezing conditions. Do you know what they talked about? Food. They talked about the meals that they would have when they went home. They talked about something they couldn't see. They couldn't taste. They couldn't smell. But it was a hope and a dream of something somewhere down the road. Kind of like the way that we live as Christians looking forward to heaven. And they encouraged each other by telling hours long stories of what their perfect meal would be. The smells the scents, the spices, all of the nuances of every dish made their very favorite way by their very favorite cooks. And then they matched what the beverages were that would go with it so well along with the desserts. They had nothing to eat. And that's what they talked about. They were so hungry that all that they could do was to talk about food. After five months with little hope of being rescued, Shackleton returned, saved those guys, loaded them up in another boat, and off they went. Not one of them lost their life. Dedication to each other, perseverance, and a single minded focus of satisfying their hunger one day and their thirst in another place is what saved them. Matthew 5 6, Jesus says this Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For what? Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We hear people all the time say, I'm starving. No, you're not. There's people in the world who really are. We don't know what starving is. More likely, you're bored, you're lonely, you're just hungry because you ate too much at your last meal. But you're not starving. There are people who truly are starving in our world. Those guys that were stuck on that ice flow were truly starving. And when we're truly hungry or we're truly thirsty, there's nothing else you can think about. It becomes all-encompassing. It doesn't even matter what the temperature is. If you're that hungry, that is all that you can focus on. There's nothing else that you want. It literally becomes a matter of life and death. So we can understand to a degree Shackleton's crew's obsession with food, which offers a little bit of a glimpse for the passion that Jesus intends to For us, when he tells us to seek his righteousness, single minded focus, nothing else matters to hunger and thirst as though we were starving for righteousness. Have you ever been so desperate that Jesus was the only thing you could think about? There was nothing else in your world that crossed your mind. You hungered and thirsted for nothing but Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness puts that mindset in our brains. And it puts a love in our heart that we want nothing more than to seek and to love and to follow and to serve Jesus. But see, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to distract us. He wants to fake satisfy us. He wants us to think that we're hungry with something that he can fill. Somehow a need, a desire, a want. The empty pleasures of the world satisfied in a way that actually doesn't do anything to fill us. Without the breastplate of righteousness, we fall for his tricks and his schemes. And at least for a little while, we think that we're actually satisfied until we find ourselves empty and sinking faster than the Titanic after hitting an iceberg. Peter wanted to walk on water. Jesus says, then come, Peter, walk to me. And Peter began to walk. And before you know it, Peter started sinking because Peter started realizing he couldn't do it by himself. He lost focus on Jesus. It isn't difficult. God's given us everything that we need to be victorious for this spiritual battle that we're in. You didn't choose it. It's just happening. It's been going on forever. And when you become a follower of Jesus, the enemy puts a target on you. But all we need to do is use the armor that God's given us. We need to trust in Jesus' righteousness, not in our own goodness. And that's one of the hardest things in the world to do. So the breastplate of righteousness, it protects our hearts in the midst of a world that wants to harden our hearts and only look out for ourselves. Look out for number one. That's what really matters, right? That's why our mission here is to love Jesus, to love people, and to teach people to love Jesus. We have to have our focus on Jesus and others, not on ourselves. To love Jesus means that we need to have some Some solid theology, and we need to have some good teaching, and we need to know what it means to love Jesus. To love people means we need to love them the way that Jesus first loved us. And then to teach people to love Jesus means that we make others into a disciple, that we ourselves are being a disciple. It's so simple, but we can't do that. We can't really love people if we're worried about protecting ourselves. But when God is protecting our hearts with the breastplate of righteousness given to us because of Jesus... God's protecting us from attack by the enemy even the stuff that we can't see. And then we can focus on opening our hearts to love people the way that Jesus loves us. That's what we're called to do. The breastplate of righteousness isn't even there just for us. It's for us to live as followers in a world followers of Jesus in a world that doesn't know him yet. What does the breastplate of righteousness do? It protects your heart. It protects your soul. And it puts you in a place where you can then share the love of Jesus with others who are trying to live this life with no protection at all. Let's pray. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus that we can't do for ourselves. Thank you for your armor. Thank you, God, that because of Jesus we become righteousness. We become your righteousness in the world. God, it just almost seems too overwhelming to say it much less to allow ourselves to believe it because the enemy fills our minds with all of the things that we're not, all of the things that will never be, all the things we've ever done wrong. But God, when you see us, you don't see us with that as the focus. You see us through Jesus. God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your Son who gave his life for us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Here's my last thought. Uh, maybe you at one point in your life felt like Peter and you cried out, Jesus, save me. Maybe you had gotten yourself to such a place that you knew the only hope you had was Jesus. Maybe your life as a Christian wasn't that dramatic, but every bit is real. You know, the breastplate of righteousness is all about saying, Jesus, protect me. That's really what it is. And so that song, Dress in His Righteousness Alone, right? That's all we got. Faultless stand before the throne. So one more time. Wow. One more time before we go. What is it that Bible verse says? I am the righteousness of God. I want to leave you with that today. Repeat it again. I am the righteousness of God. Don't tell yourself you're not good enough. Don't say, I don't know enough. Don't let the enemy convince you that you're not. Because God says that you are because of Jesus.